Morning, church. Would you join me in prayer? Mighty God, thanks for this time. Thank you that you have been faithful to us through snow, through all kinds of weather, through ups and downs in our work and in our families and in our jobs. And wherever we're coming from this morning, we know that you deeply desire to meet with us. You have words for us to hear. We have heard your word now through the scripture being read, and now we ask that we'd hear your word in our hearts, through the preaching moment, through the text, through these stories and things that uh, you've put on my heart this week. More important than any of that is your desire for us as a church, to be a church that loves and serves and blesses our community and seeks its transformation, seeks your shalom in every corner of the east side. May these words in these moments then become fuel for that journey as you build your great dreams in and around us. We ask these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Great to see all of you. Thanks for coming this morning. I don't see too many uh, frostbite marks on anybody, so I think we all survived the snow. Uh, One of my uh, favorite memories of the snow was uh, this past week, my family and I on Sunday, because we canceled services, We got to go to church together, which, as you can imagine, doesn't happen all that often in the traditional sense of the word, and we walked to church together. There's a church in my neighborhood, a little Lutheran congregation, and so we actually walked there through the snow. I had Amelia in the hiking backpack on my back, which, by the way, those work way better when your kids are little. (laughs) Like, later on in life, not so much. I mean, she's changed, but have I changed? I don't know. So we walked to church together, and it was great. We just went to this little Lutheran church with some of our neighbors. It was really fun. And then this morning, right, so a week later, the snow somewhat melted. We're going to have church together today. My middle daughter, Hadley, comes up to me and goes, Daddy, are we driving to church today? Like, how fun is that, right? Like, she remembered that a week ago, we got to do something we'd never done before, where we walked, and now we're here. And I share that because it helped me get excited more so than I was before to see you guys again. I missed you. I missed this time that we had. I missed seeing Peter Kirk, and I'm very grateful that we can meet here together uh, this week. If you didn't get a chance to, I would encourage you during the week ahead to listen to the video sermon from last weekend. Pastor Richard, our senior pastor, preached a really great message on Romans 14. It actually uh, is foundational to the message today. So if you're wondering, what about that part of the text with the strong and the weak? What's that about? Richard did a really great job of explaining that last week, so I'd encourage you to go hear what he had to say. Now, the snow uh, was fun for a little while, right? And then at a certain point, it stopped being fun. And I think that, right, and we're like, kids, go back to school, come on. I think there's some truth there, though, that goes like a little bit deeper than just, okay, it stopped being fun. The snow reminded all of us that we're a little bit helpless. Like, the weather is ubiquitous, right? Like, we all have to encounter the weather, right? I have a friend uh, whose dad likes to say, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear, right? Like, you don't have the preparation to, like, go do something, which, ironically, only someone in the Northwest would really say that. Like, we lived in Colorado for a few years, like, don't go there. Like, whatever, that weather will kill you. The weather is not supposed to interrupt our lives, but it did. So many of us couldn't get to work, our kids couldn't get to school, Uh, we had to walk to things, like my family walking to church, which was actually a joy. The undercurrent of that, though, as fun as that could be, I think we all felt this. There's a sense of helplessness, is there not? There's a sense of, I can't even get out of my driveway. I can't even go to the grocery store. Uh, I saw a couple of you, this was so fun, posted pictures at the grocery store on Thursday night last week. 
lines 15 people deep, trying to buy as many frozen pizzas as possible, right? Who knows how long this is going to last? The undercurrent of that is helplessness. All of us experience this. And for modern people, for people living in, you could argue, a very comfortable part of the world, people who have, for the most part, good jobs, good resources, vehicles that are reliable, homes that we find to be warm and inviting, for us to feel helpless is really unnerving and really uncomfortable. And yet, I think it's such an important moment for us to mark, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's an important moment because you go, oh yeah, this is how my whole life is supposed to be, actually. Not the fear, not the anxiety so much, but the I am helpless before this great thing that I cannot control, which here was the weather, right? The church in Rome was facing something bigger than the weather. And we're talking about the book of Romans. We've been preaching through the whole book. It's been, I think, a really fun series. This feeling of helplessness was not an isolated incident based on weather for the people of Rome. It was, we're a tiny little church that's part of this movement of Jesus And how do we change an empire? How do we change a culture that says, gladiator games, that is super fun. You should go watch people get killed in violent combat. How do we change a culture that says, the ethic for sexuality is just recreational. Have fun as much as you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. How do we change a culture that says, those who are widowed, those who are orphaned, those who are sick and dying, you know where they go? They go on the streets. That was the reality of the church in Rome. Now, we don't necessarily have all those same things in play today, but I bet every one of us in a conversation over a cup of coffee could say, if I could snap my fingers and change something about our world, it would be this. And maybe it's racial healing. I know so many in our community care about that, and we're going to step into that in a big way next week with Paradise. You'll hear more about that in a little bit. I know for a bunch of you, it is this incredibly heartbreaking thing of kids who show up to school hungry and stay hungry, if the school is not open, the real needs of children in our community, just to have basic nourishment. I know that breaks some of your hearts. I know for some of you, it is mentoring and changing the lives of teenagers who are at risk, who are about to totally fall out of the system. How do we we step in? What does it mean to be a Christ follower who steps into these places of vulnerability? The church in Rome was wrestling with that and feeling powerless in the midst of that. And today's text is not about, here's how we go find some power. Today's text is, this is what God says to his church in every stage, in every corner of its existence, across the centuries. And it should be no less encouraging for us than it was for the church in Rome. It's a powerful message, and I hope to kind of fly over it with all of us and invite us to kind of step into some very specific ways. So we're going to look at our outline. Ian, I'll come back to that photo I was going to mention at the end. Here's your outline. It's in the bulletin. Our thesis goes like this. A servant-hearted church is fueled by God's faithfulness and by continuous encouragement. A servant-hearted church, this is who we are, this is who we're called to be, is fueled by God's faithfulness and continuous encouragement. The breakout's there in your bulletin. We've got a fill-in-the-blank coming up, so all you type A's get ready. I'm going to help you fill in those blanks. God's endurance is part two. Encouragement and joy is part three. Let's talk about that fill-in-the-blank. This comes from uh, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Romans 15. We're going to talk through uh, this section and then verses 4 and 5. We're going to kind of come back to that in a little bit. 15, 1 through 3. I'm actually going to read from the message translation, uh, which has just been super helpful. So uh, I'll have Ian put it up on the screen behind me. 
And I'll try to stay out of the way from those of you that want to read it. Here, I'll just bend down, right? goes like this. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith, that's the strong and the weak piece, need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Here's your fill in the blank. Strength is for service, not status. Say that with me, church. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way the scripture puts it. What's your fill-in-the-blank say, church? Strength is for service, not status. What does that mean? Paul is telling the Roman church, there is something you are all supposed to be doing. And it is outside of you. It is outside of your comfort. It is outside of the simplicity of just gathering together. There's something you're called to go do, and it is serving. What does he mean by that? We have to kind of go back a little bit to really understand what he's saying specifically to this group of people at the church in Rome. Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark's gospel uh, records the life of Jesus, and there was a conversation that he had in chapter 10 with his disciples Uh, It was a conversation about ambition and leadership in the church. A couple of guys really wanted to be recognized for their leadership. And then Jesus, in sort of a drop-the-mic moment, walks them through these verses, starting in verse 42. Jesus called to them, them being the disciples, and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you must be your, what church? Your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As far as I know, there was no paradigm for leadership like this in the ancient world. There was no teaching from any emperor or any king or any queen or any ruler that said, you want to be great? Go serve. You want to become first? Make yourself a servant. Make yourself a slave. Nobody was teaching this except Jesus Christ. And so his Christ followers, if you picture how this lands in the lives of the church in Rome, right? There's this group of people. They've gathered together. Some historians would say they probably started gathering right around the time that Jesus was died and resurrected, a little bit after that, right? Because the church started to take off. So we're talking 30, 40 AD. The church starts to get together. Maybe it's not much bigger than us. Maybe it's 70 to 90 people when they gather together. That's our size. That's a great size to launch a movement. And to even have a church in Rome was a huge accomplishment. I mean, think about this, right? This is like kind of world history 101. The Roman Empire was unprecedented in its reach, in its influence, and in its bloodthirstiness. The Roman Empire covered so much of the known world, and everything ran through Rome. What's that great phrase? All roads lead to Rome. If you want to influence and shape a culture and an empire, go to Rome, go to New York, go to Washington, D.C., go to Seattle, go to these places where the heart of culture is really being stirred up. Not only was Rome the heart of the empire, it was the brains and the guts and the wallet of the empire. So much of business, so much of economics, so much of the famous infrastructure of the Roman Empire, the aqueducts and roads, it all came by the leadership in Rome. We are not in that much of a different place. 
And you may say, no, I don't work in any of those big tech companies. I got my own thing. Or no, I'm a teacher. Or no, I work in a hospital. I'm not shaping the culture like the people in Rome were. I beg to differ. You are shaping the culture in your family through the way that you carry yourself. And if you're a Christ follower, you got a high calling. You are shaping the culture of your company. Doesn't matter if it's three people or 300 people. Because they are looking to you and they're saying, look, if I know anything about this person, I know that they go to this place on Sundays and they do this thing called church and they worship. And the type of person that you are becoming shapes the culture around you. It doesn't matter how high or low or wherever you are in the organization. And that can lead us to feel a little bit of despair, right? (laughs) Like, shoot, I'm responsible? Are you kidding? I can't, you know, my financial life's a mess and this is a mess and my kids are screaming at me like, Why would anyone put those expectations on me? It's precisely because of who you are and who God has made you to be that God has said to you, go shape the culture in your neighborhood. Go change the way people think of themselves, the way they think of the world through your love for others, through your service to others, through bending the knee in service to the community. This is the new paradigm in leadership, church. Strength is for service, not for status. How do we live into that? Because every one of us has the opportunity to leverage our position, leverage our power for service and not for status. And there's two ways that we're going to get into this. Very practical. That wasn't a very practical part yet. That's kind of laying the foundation. Here comes the practical stuff. We're going to talk about endurance or faithfulness and encouragement. If you're looking for two ways to really be a shaper of the culture in which you live, pay attention. Service, strength is for service, not status. We've learned that. Now we need to talk about endurance because that's a key way to make this live in people's lives. And of course, thinking about endurance, I got to show you an embarrassing picture from high school. So this was me when I was a runner when I was in high school. I still run. I'm not that skinny. My hair is obviously not that long. I couldn't grow a beard like this at the time. This was when I was 15 or something. So I ran cross-country in high school, which was perfect because I'm completely uncoordinated and have no natural athletic ability. So it was great, like a match made in heaven. I just have to run. This is terrific. The longest run that we ever did when I was running cross-country was about 10 miles. And I know, looking out at you guys, like, y'all have run marathons, you've done ultras, you're like, 10 miles, I eat that for breakfast. That was a big deal for me at 15, (laughs) I weighed 120 pounds, and it was the same height that I am right now, so do the math. And we ran 10 miles, we ran along this street called Allen Parkway in Houston, where you go down the bayou, it's actually very pretty, Houston's a very flat, not sort of naturally beautiful city, but there are places of beauty, you just gotta look. So we ran down this bayou, it was really pretty, you get all the way to downtown Houston, right? So imagine like running up to downtown Seattle, you can see the skyscrapers, it's really pretty, it's cool. But it was a 10-mile run. It was in the afternoon, and I'm pretty sure it was in, like, August or September. You know how hot Houston is, period? (laughs) Much less in August or September. Humidity, 100, 110%. We all want to go do this right now, right? Like, yeah, let's go. It was terrible. And yet we ran 10 miles. And there's no reason we should have run 10 miles. Like, no sane human being should want to do that. But yet, we did it because... We were training for our races. Our race, at least when I was running uh, high school cross country, was at 5K, so 3.1 miles. Why would you run three times as long to train for a race of that size? Well, if you're a runner, you know why. You have to build up endurance. It's not just you run this segment and then 
you're done. You need to train in such a way that you are ready to go hard that whole entire time. And the way that you do that is you do these endurance runs in the heat, in the humidity, in Houston, in August. Only 15-year-olds would think this was a good idea, by the way. We're going to come back to that example in just a little bit. But I want to talk about how that theme of endurance comes into our text. Turn back with me to Romans 15. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5. This just intrigued me so much this week. Verses 4 and 5 kind of mirror each other because they talk about both steadfastness and encouragement kind of in the same breath, and they repeat it twice, which is not an accident. So listen to verses 4 and 5. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's talking there about the Old Testament scriptures, the teachings of the church, doctrine, dogma, all good stuff. So that by steadfastness, encouragement, or excuse me, steadfastness, endurance, and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according, in accordance with Christ Jesus. Steadfastness and encouragement. Let's, ta- or, let's tackle uh, steadfastness for just a moment. The Greek word there just means patient awaiting or perseverance. You have to persevere to be able to run 10 miles. You have to persevere to be a Mariners fan and to endure this long-awaited teardown, right? So we're hoping to get back to the playoffs. You have to be patient. You have to persevere. I think an amazing example of this is actually in Genesis 29. I'd encourage you to read that this week if you haven't been in the book of Genesis in a while. This is the story of Jacob and his love for this woman, Rachel. Remember, he sees her. He is beyond smitten with her. He wants to be with her and marry her. And so he goes to his crafty, wise father-in-law, and the father-in-law says, oh, you like her that much? Come work for me for seven years. Seven years of serving. And what does the scripture say? There's this great line. I love it. It says, to Jacob, the seven years seemed like, like a day. Now, poetic, yes, Does that land in real life? I think it absolutely does. Here's why. Endurance is an aspect of the character of God. Over and over and over again, the church has taught, our God is faithful, our God is eternal, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. All those things are true, and we uphold that here at Bethany. Our God is faithful. He never lets us go. Paul talked about this earlier in Romans 5. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to clean up himself. He was patiently there for us the whole time, inviting us in, beckoning him toward himself. That is a God of endurance. And if we hear nothing else this morning, just hear this. Thank God for that. Thank God that we have a God of endurance because he brings his faithfulness to bear for us in our unfaithfulness, in our struggles, in our, I yelled at my kids again, in our, I argued with my spouse again, in our, again and again and again, God says, I still love you. And I'm still inviting you forward, no matter what you are facing. He says this to the church in Rome. I am faithful. He says this to the church now. I am faithful. What is the point? When Jacob focused on the micro, he would have been totally lost. If he focused on the day-to-day labor of those seven years, whatever the labor was, let's say he was working in the field, he was picking up grain, he was making copies, he was, co- he was coffee boy, whatever, he would have been so frustrated. Because seven years is forever if you're just counting down the days. Uh, I had a vacation I was looking forward to one time, and I thought about doing one of those countdown timers, you know, like where you look at your phone, it's like 17 more days till Maui, 16 more days till Maui. I didn't want to do it because I think it would make me hate those days (laughs) that I had to wait. When we focus on the micro, we get so frustrated. 
We get so discouraged. And the day-to-day, when your kids won't eat their dinner, when your boss is frustrating you, when your neighbors just did another thing that really bugs you, when you focus on the micro, it is so frustrating. But I think what Jacob did, what the lesson that he teaches us, the lesson that we can learn here from this endurance, is when we focus on the macro, when we take the long view, we can endure. We can be patient. We can wait faithfully. That is what our God has done for us, and that is what our God is calling us to. He's not calling us to go and fix our culture tomorrow. He's calling us to a long journey of faithfulness. How long of a journey? I don't know. The Roman church, you know how long they had to wait for the transformation of their culture? Let's say the Roman church gets started around 30, 40 AD. The next big transformational moment in the history of the empire of Rome came kind of in the early 300s. The emperor Constantine becomes to power, and he's the first emperor of Rome to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Until then, Christianity had been outlawed. 300 years, 400 years, or excuse me, 100 years later, another emperor, Theodosius I, became the last emperor to both control the eastern and western sides of the empire, and he was the guy that said Christianity is now the common religious ground. 400 years for a culture to change. And there were slow changes over time. The gladiator games went away, and people started to think differently about the treatment of the poor and the marginalized. It was a slow journey. And guess who was victorious? Christ was victorious. We don't live in the Roman Empire anymore. That is not our Savior. That is not our Caesar. Christ was victorious, and he will be victorious for you. He already is victorious for you over whatever you are enduring. Such a negative word, like I'm going to endure my neighbor playing his tuba, right? We're not talking about endurance in a negative sense. We're talking about endurance in the running sense, and we're building up strength. There's something that God is doing in us, church, that I'm deeply excited about. And we have been training, we have been enduring these seasons where we've been really tight-knit, and we've been really, we started out as a house church, and we continue to expand from that. There is more that God wants for us. And we are moving toward that. And we've been doing that through endurance. So for those of you who've been there from the start, for those of you who have held babies and served, thank you. Do not give up. Do not give up on this mission that God has called us to. For those of you that are new, you are stepping into something that a very faithful group of people has been building for a long time. But really, it's been God building it through simple servants. And we want you to be a part of this. We want you to jump in. We want you to have a great time here seeing God building his kingdom. And I get... Just goosebumps thinking about where he may take us. Because the Roman church had no idea that 300 years later, the empire would be no more. They had no idea. If you'd told somebody that in that church, they would have said, (laughs) right. Think of the thing that so burdens you, that so breaks your heart. What if that were completely transformed? And what if today, looking, looking down the road, what if 10 years from now we're gathered here and we're saying, we had no idea that God was going to use our church to end the plight of hungry kids in schools. We had no idea that our church was going to do something where we could see racial healing spread to every neighborhood on the east side and beyond. We had no idea that our kids' schools become places of hope and safety and power and strength. We had no idea. And yet God wanted to do it through us. Church, don't give up. Say it with me. Don't give up. Whatever you are facing, do not give up. Say it like you mean it, church. Don't give up. The Roman church did not give up, neither are we. Because strength is for service. This is review. Strength is for service, not status. We're called to steadfastness. We're not going to give up on this, even though it's taken a while. 
And we're going to live into this through encouragement. This is the last part. This word for encouragement is the same word that the, te- the scriptures use to describe the Holy Spirit, the parakaleo, the encourager, the one who speaks words of encouragement to the hearts of believers. It also means persuasion, consolation, joy, and gladness. When I think of encouragement, I think of those guys that did that 10-mile run with me in the heat in Houston. I would never have made it if I didn't have guys around me encouraging me. And guy encouragement usually means some grunting. Like, eh, you got this. But still, it's encouragement. And I'm someone that really responds well to that. So that's one of your homework assignments for this week's church. Go encourage somebody. Every one of us is connected to someone who needs some encouragement. And if you're not wired that way, okay, fine, whatever. Send an email. Text someone some encouragement. You don't have to do the face-to-face thing. That's fine. I think it's more effective and powerful. Go encourage somebody this week. You can picture, you can close your eyes right now, can't you? And picture somebody in your life where you're going, man, I know that person's hurting. I know they've been struggling. And it may not have to be anything at all. Just saying to them, I see you. I know that you're there. Are you picturing that person with me, church? I see you. And maybe it's someone who's been through a season of grief and you're saying, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm with you. Maybe that's the word of encouragement you need to give. Maybe it's someone at work, they just came on your team and they are so overwhelmed and you just come up to them and say, hey, I've been there. How can I help? You don't have to fix it. You just have to be with them. You have to show that you're for them. That is this encouragement. The Holy Spirit is for the church. And you, us, the people of the church, we are his agents. We're going to go do the work of encouragement. So find someone to encourage in the week ahead. That's part one of your homework. And then more specifically related to the text, find a way to hear the encouragement of the word. That's what the text refers to specifically. Look at verse four with me. By steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures. Not just the encouragement of speaking to one another, that's important. Not just the encouragement of an inspirational quote, that's fine. The encouragement specifically of the word. Have you made time in your schedule to encounter and hear the encouragement of the word? Paul wrote earlier in the book of Romans, in Romans 7, the word is a delight. The law, I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in that. How do we create opportunities to delight in the word? I'll tell you one thing that was delightful for me was our men's breakfast this last week. We're at Chick-fil-A. We're studying the Bible. It's early in the morning. We're eating chicken because chicken's a breakfast food. And it was awesome. And I left so encouraged. And guys, I would love for all of us to be there together because we're encouraging each other in the word. There are women's Bible studies that are doing this. There are small groups that are doing this. I'm just saying to me personally this week, I delighted in how God used his word to encourage a group of men on a Thursday morning. And to fill our stomachs with delicious chicken. If you're not in a small group, you need to be in a small group and hear the encouragement of the word. If you have a long commute, you should be listening to the word. Most Bible apps have the ability to stream the audio of the scriptures. Just listen. Or if you're home with your kids, just listen to the word. Pick a psalm. Pick a gospel. Just start listening through it. Hear the word. Saturate yourself in the word. I have a friend who used to have a long commute, and he said, man, when I was listening to talk radio, I would show up to work so angry. And I'm like, duh. Like, talk radio is designed to make people angry. Like, that, that's the thing. And then he switched, and he started listening to the scriptures, and he said, I show up to work, and I'm at peace. I'm excited about my day. Would you be more excited about your day if you listened to the scriptures, if you just took time to hear it? 
I think we would, because the encouragement of the scriptures, the steadfastness and the faithfulness of God, that is what's going to fuel us, church, to become more and more the servant-hearted church that we are called to be. A few next steps, and then we'll wrap up. To be a servant-hearted church, we've got to keep service in front of us. So as long as I'm your pastor, I'm going to keep telling you about ways to serve and to connect and to sacrifice and to get out of our comfort. Next week, we're going to have an amazing worship service at Paradise Baptist Church. A bunch of you have been here when we've done this before. A bunch of you are new. It's awesome. I would so encourage you to make it a priority to be here and to serve somehow, to host a table, to make soup, to bring part of the meal. Please come. To live into this call to faithfulness, Pray. Pray all through this week that what God is doing in our friendship with Paradise and with these other historically African-American churches that are just jumping on board with it, that it sends a message to our wider culture that the church cares about seeking healing, seeking shalom between historically divided people and that in Christ we have our unity. Pray for this worship. Pray for the conversations that you can have about this. And then find that person to encourage Find opportunity to hear the encouragement of the word. Maybe it's just 10 minutes. And you start doing it tomorrow morning. You set yourself a goal of finishing it throughout the week. 10 minutes every day. Just hearing the word. Go do it. Friends, it is the encouragement of the scriptures that has always united the church. And it is the faithfulness of God that Jesus expressed so profoundly in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. But never more tacitly did he express it than he did at the communion table. So I'm going to invite the band to come join me back on stage, and I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward. And we're going to transition now to a time here at the communion table. This table is not the property of Bethany Community Church. It's Peter Kirk's table, but it is the table of Jesus Christ. And so anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ is welcome to come and take bread, take juice, and receive Would you join me in a moment of prayer as we pray and ask God to set apart these simple elements? Mighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement and your faithfulness. You're calling us to be a church that served. We can only come to the table because you first served your disciples at the table. You were their host. You welcomed them. And so we thank you that you welcome us. We ask God that this food... And this drink would be used to nourish us. And more than anything else, that it would fuel us to be the servant-hearted church you call us to be. We ask in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.